Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. I am Mike Asaza, hoping, trusting that the holidays were excellent to you and to yours. And welcome you in for one final preview episode here on our podcast of the 2021 football season. No Chris Anderson today. Uh, I gave him the gift of not having to deal with me one last time this season, so just me. But I will have some help from my friends. Before we finish here today, we will welcome in Ryan Burns from Gopher Illustrated just to have a few questions about this upcoming game. The guaranteed rate bowl between West Virginia and Minnesota, 10.15 p.m. Tuesday night on ESPN. And we'll conclude with a couple of questions from subscribers here. Asked for some questions, picked out the most popular ones, and I think the ones that will be the most relevant come Tuesday night. But before we get into that... Talk a little bit about this game that we've had darn near a month to talk about, to write about, to read about, to think about. What does it mean? What's going to happen? What do we think? I'm not a person who thinks there are too many bowl games or that bowl games don't matter. There are too many bowl games, but what do I care? More football on TV. We like that, right? And who cares if it's weird names and if it's participation trophy events or players or even coaches are sometimes indifferent to them. We have a pretty interesting matchup here. This is fun to me, I think, because two teams have never played. It might not be the most offensively exhilarating matchup, but darn if it's not dramatic when you have a whole month to build it up. You can create any type of anticipation when you have this much of a runway to a game. Maybe that gives us a little bit more life than it might otherwise deserve. You have a 6-6 six and six team against an 8-4 and four team, two teams that just don't know each other because they've never met on the field before. Two teams are probably kind of similar. Two teams that could have better records, if not for a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Two teams that like to run the ball, like to own time of possession. Again, maybe not the most enthusiastic game for ESPN's bean counters over there. But hey, it's what we have. It's what we get to talk about. But before that, I want to just kind of discuss the game and what it might actually mean because... You're going to have a final score. You're going to have a winner and a loser. I know that. But it seems like that you have some sort of point here as it goes to Neil Brown's program. Literally a 500 program now in three seasons. But as you step back a little bit and you try to wonder what's going on, I think you can make the argument that it's not the beginning of the end. That's unfair, right? No one's pushing anybody out the door here. Maybe it's the end of the beginning. And it's hard to put a whole lot on a one game, one exhibition game, especially when your best offensive player decides to go. No one's going to begrudge Lady Brown for that. But certainly West Virginia's chances of winning are better with Lady Brown in the game as opposed to watching from wherever he'll be watching, preparing for whatever awaits him in his next step professionally. But you do have West Virginia going against a Big Ten team with eight wins that just beat Wisconsin, and again, could be a 10-win team, could be a 9-win team, could be a 9-win team by sometime early Wednesday morning, we'll see, but a quality opponent, and this is an army, it's not some hastily arranged matchup last season, and you have a team that probably right now, I would say, could be valued higher than any other point in Brown's tenure. What I mean by that is if you were treating this like a stock, 
probably be trading for more right now than ever before because four and two in the past six games. And now the question there is, is this the highest value of the team? Maybe, maybe not, because before a four and two finish was a two and four start, and that certainly sunk the value. So maybe it's not as high as it seems. Maybe it's not as high as anybody wants. Perhaps the depths were so severe before that it's just taken some time to get back up there. But we can say this. A win will go a long way toward changing people's opinions and making everybody very excited about this program as it moves into year four in 2022. I think a lot of the things that people want to be true or profess will be true, you really could wrap your arms around. For example, a veteran offensive line. For example, capable skill players. Uh, for example, Tony Mathis. You kind of get what I'm saying? That's just offense. You look at defense and you could find some... Well, heck, who's left on defense? It's kind of hard to tell right now, right? My point being, you might have some blanks that'll be filled in. Oh, Akeem Mesidor. Oh, Lance Dixon. Oh, Daryl Porter. A lot of focus goes to the offense for this team, but the defense has been the strength for the three seasons, and maybe anonymously. But if it goes out there and it does a number on West Virginia, excuse me, on Minnesota's running game and kind of keeps that under wraps... Hey, you might feel good about that defense next year, even though it might take some losses. Personnel-wise, of course. Big year, fourth year. You really can't win a game until you get into that season, but you kind of feel like you would get a win for 2022 if you get a win to end 2021. So what do they have to do? Well, obviously have to win. Maybe be more exciting than they have been. I think a knock on West Virginia football right now is it's not very fun to watch. Do something exciting, get people feeling really good about a player or a position or a side of the ball or the whole enchilada, and heck, that offseason goes by faster. That's the big thing I think you can win in a game in the desert on a Tuesday night at the end of December. Really, what are you going to to accomplish otherwise? You're going to put a bow on a season? I get that. Everybody would be happy with a seventh win, but it feels like you make more of a statement about next season than you do this season if all goes well for West Virginia. And you might really rally around Neil Brown's selling points and what he wants to have, whether that's inside the program or outside. And when you have a month to do all your business to get ready for a game, it should be a little bit easier, you think. So maybe people fall in line, buy what they're selling, and this works out. And then all of a sudden, not just for fans, but for the players, that offseason goes by really quickly and you're running downhill toward 2022. That feels like what's at stake to me as an observer in this one coming up. It would be irresponsible to get to this point, though, and not talk about the quarterback in the room. Jared Dagey. Is this the end for him? Is this the end of the beginning or the beginning of the end for the starting quarterback for this team? Could be back next season. Don't know question I, I really can't answer that a lot of people asked as I said when I asked people on the board for questions to punctuate this podcast one of them commonly asked by multiple people will Daigie be back and then more interesting to me it's a good question too does the performance influence the decision to come back think about that for a second if you believe he has not made up his mind, or that the coaching staff hasn't made up its mind, 
and that his decision is somehow dependent on the outcome of the game, well, that makes this <laughs> a really enticing competition. I don't think that's the case. I don't think anything that happens makes it more or less likely. And I don't think that would be fair to him or to the team or to the coaches. Imagine you're just living up to a flip of the coin. Hey, if we win, we'll have you back. Or hey, if we lose, sorry, you can't come back. That doesn't seem fair to anybody involved. It could be misleading in any number of directions. What if he has a bad day? Does that mean he shouldn't be the quarterback next year? Maybe. Or if he has a great day, does that mean he should be the quarterback next year? Maybe not. I don't think whatever happens out there influences decision. If you're asking me what I think is going to happen, I think he's made up his mind. I think those conversations have happened. I think you can make a really good argument about having him back. But I also know the other side of the coin exists too. And you could say, thanks but no thanks. There's a ceiling out there with the team in 2022. And there has to be an honest conversation. How high can you go? And who's the person who's pulling the levers to help you approach and maybe break through that ceiling? We'll see. I think the decision has been made. I think the cards are all on the table. And if you just kind of read the clues, you can probably figure out what it is. But I just have a hard time believing that something as important as the identity for a starting quarterback next season hasn't been solved yet. That that's the sort of thing you wait until after the bowl game where, again, one game or even a couple of weeks of practice on one game, that's going to influence a kid's mind in one way or another. Hey, I had a lot of fun. I want to come back next year. Or, eh, we lost the game. Didn't feel great in the locker room. I don't want to come back. Eh, it's way too much of a variable for me to evolve with that position. So you would hope that it's been handled differently. We'll see. That's certainly something to keep an eye on there. So what has to happen? Again, these teams are kind of similar. Run the ball. Obsessed with time of possession. I don't think it's easy to beat Minnesota. I think that the directions to get to a win against Minnesota are fairly concise. You're going to have to stop the run. You're going to have to make Tanner Morgan beat you with the pass. Can that happen? We'll see. That's a fairly obvious game plan, I think. And they've won more than they've lost. And they've been very good late in the season. I think you might be concerned about not Kirk Shiraka. But maybe the change that has been made on the offensive side for Minnesota late on in the season, they're not a really prolific passing team, but they've been better, more effective, more complicated, more involved in offense. Since a loss to Illinois, that maybe probably initiated a change in the coaching staff. Offensive coordinator is gone. Things have shifted a little bit. And there's a guy in Tanner Morgan who threw for 3,200 yards and 30 touchdowns two years ago. He's in there somewhere. That would spook me if I was West Virginia's defensive staff. With a month to get ready, an opponent you're not used to that hasn't seen you in Big Ten play or hasn't scouted you uh, across film. When you're getting ready for one team, you see a bunch of Minnesota because you're in the same conference or the same division, that type of stuff. All of a sudden, you're, you're seeing a team that you're not used to and you're expecting Minnesota to do something which is run the ball. They run the ball a lot and run the ball well. But all of a sudden, there comes the guy who, again, threw for 3,200 yards and 30 touchdowns two years ago. So is there a monkey wrench? Is there something not expected? It's not a major change. It's not what they do, but that's a quarterback who's been good. And he's got time and whatever changes that maybe started late on their season, perhaps they've had time to develop. And all of a sudden, you get a guy who's going to spin it 
and could be good. That would concern me because I think about West Virginia's low moment this year, Baylor, and kind of saying we're going to go ahead and stop their run. We don't think Jerry Bohannon can beat us. And West Virginia said that and thought that, and then the opposite was true. They didn't really contain the run, but Jerry Bohannon, um, they beat him. And West Virginia admitted, hey, that was a surprise. Did some stuff that we weren't expecting. Did some stuff that we didn't think he could do. Morgan's similar. He can play. I think it's also important to note that he's coming back. Super senior. Um, decides he wants to do his sixth year, and, and he's already made up that, made up his mind, made that decision. I think that matters to a team. So we'll see. Could they Are they going to throw him a bone and let him vomit in the guaranteed rate bowl just because he came back? No, but there's certainly an optimism or a want or a hope that they can be better offensively next season. You're not bringing back your coordinator from two years ago unless you think you can turn back the clock, so to speak, with the people you have on hand. I'm sure there's some excitement about that. Watch their offensive line, though. Big guys. Their tackles are great. They run the ball frequently and effectively outside their tackles. Tackles are very good. Watch Daniel Falele, 6'8", 380. Pretty good. Uh, Sam Schluter is the left tackle. Uh, probably NFL guys. And they run a ton of stuff outside. Outside zone is very good to them. They use two tight ends, too. And if you're a West Virginia fan, you hear the word tight end about the opponent, you're probably a little bit worried. These aren't really pass-catching guys who are going to kill you up the seam, but they're very good blockers. Coquifed. 6'5", 260, very good tight end. Loves to block, has really leaned into this too. And then watch out for Brevin's fan forward, 6'7", 270. Really good athlete, high school basketball player who, get this, in his high school, he owns all the receiving records. He also owns the points and assists record for basketball at his high school. St. Cloud, Minnesota too, so it's not some small neighborhood place where a kid can do something like that. You're the best guy to walk up a high school make you do that in one sport, but both, ooh. Impressive. What's impressive about Minnesota, though, is that five guys with 100 yards rushing this year, no one in the country has done that. And they run the ball more frequently as far as a percentage of plays than anybody but the three service academies. So number fourth in the country in percentage of run plays, trailing only Army, Air Force, and Navy. And how can you do that when you lose all these running backs? Four season-ending four season ending injuries to running backs. And they still run the ball. They're committed to it. But they have a very good offensive line. Leads the country in starts, career starts, 230. They have started games with seven offensive linemen, with six offensive linemen. Uh, look for stuff like that. They're going to be big. They're going to play with two tight ends. They'll probably play maybe some unbalanced formations. And they don't trick you. Not a lot of motion. Not a lot of deception. Just kind of lining up and saying, hey, we, we know you saw this on film. Try to stop it. And this will be a good test for West Virginia, which has been light this season. Light in the box, late on in the schedule because of injuries. See what happens there. Good to have Lance Dixon back. Big game for him. Big game for Josh Chandler. Scott Young will have to play well. Let's see what happens with West Virginia's injuries and, and knock on wood. Anything with, uh, with COVID that's going on right now, not yet disclosed, but... You'd like to see both teams at full strength there because this could be a really compelling matchup about how one team plays offense and one team tries to play defense. So, hey, everybody's well-armed. This could be fun because Minnesota, again, not very pretty. It's just determined, and they like to do what they like to do, but I think the West Virginia's defense would like to be up for the challenge. What do you think happens here? I think you might see some four defensive linemen just because it's it gets you heavier down there and you can combat the run a little bit better with bigger bodies. But we've also seen West Virginia stop the run well with and without the bandit. 
you're going to have to crash the edges against those tackles, so a bandit might help. We'll see. Outside has to be really good. Spear, bandit, those those edge players are going to have to be good. So, hey, St. McLeod, welcome to college football, right? Let's see what you can do here. Could be a big game for him. Feels like that this is going to be decided on the edges for Minnesota's offense. So, defensive end, spear, I don't know, a safety coming downhill. They're going to have to be good. West Virginia's defense can, can succeed by kicking that ball outside, but if Minnesota wants to get it out there too, and again, use their tackles and tight ends, that could be tough. Defensively for Minnesota, fun um, streak here for them. Six straight games, they've allowed 300 or fewer yards. Nobody in the country is on a run like that. Just very good. Top 10 in the country, total defense, rush defense, pass defense, scoring defense. Minnesota. Wisconsin and Georgia are the only three teams in the top 10 of all four categories. So reputable bunch on defense there. What's funny to me is that, and I think I've probably mentioned this before, if I am repeating myself, sorry, but they have one all-conference player. Big 12, Big 10, excuse me, has first team, second team, third team, as voted on by the coaches, and then as voted on by the media. So we'll do some math on our head. 11, 11, 11, 33, 11, 11, 12, 34. So the coaches voted, second team had a tie, so they picked 34 players for first team, second team, third team on conference. Media, 11, 11, 11. So, I don't know, 67, let's say. But basically, 33, 34 spots. Minnesota had one player make all conference. It's crazy. And yet, an elite defense that is in the top 10 of the four major defensive categories. They stop the run. They try to beat you with, make them beat you with the pass. If you can do it, great. That's a challenge, I'm sure. Linebacker's good. Jack Gibbons, transfer from Abilene Christian. Team high, 86 tackles. Tyler Nubbin, a safety who gets involved. But only 44 tackles. He's third in the team. So a lot of their stuff happens with their linebackers. Their top two tackles are linebackers. Third one's a safety. Don't get a lot of sacks. They do get pressure. No sacks the first two games. 20 sacks the final 10. About two a game since then. But they can be effective. They can be good up front. But they just aren't very chaotic. They don't pick the ball off. They don't turn you over a bunch. They're just really good at getting off the field. They use their offense as a great crutch for the defense. The time possession. This is much about the defense as it is the offense. Give the defense a break. They can be tough. They can be fast. They can be strong. And they're playing... I don't know, 20 minutes a game, 25 minutes a game. A little bit easier that way. Cover six, though. Watch it. Cover four on one side of the field, cover two on the other. Expect West Virginia to hit some of the shallow crosses, some mesh stuff, air raid things that are things you're familiar with. Watch them eat up the short stuff, hit the flats, but they're going to have to take shots. you got to shorten the game and shorten the field against Minnesota. And if you can get more yardage in one play, then you might, in a handful of plays or even drives, you got to take a shot there. You got to see what you can do. And if you're going to hit short stuff and sweep across the field with shallow stuff, and maybe you catch them off guard. Take a shot, shoot the moon, see what happens. Maybe you hit it. Similar offensive philosophies, and then probably defensively too. You're, they're going to make you march down the field. If you can do it, kudos. Not a lot of people have done it this year. Again, six straight games with fewer than 300 yards allowed. How can West Virginia get to 300? Can they get above 300? And again, if you're not going to have a lot of plays, you're going to have to make them count. So I think aggressive tendencies will be an important part of this one here. And then just watch out for intangibles. Don't make mistakes. 
Turnovers will be a big deal. Penalties will be a big deal. Just both these defenses, they can be effective when they get in the role. And both these offenses are so inclined that they're going to play modest. Try to complement their defense. Just get in your lane and stay there. They're going to want to do that. I don't know. Maybe you got to change lanes or you got to speed up to pass somebody, so to speak. If you got to do something you're not accustomed to doing, it's going to be hard. And if you got to play second and 15 because of a holding penalty or a false start, or if it's third and 20 because, I don't know, a fumble, something like that, if you're behind the change of your off schedule, it's going to be hard for both these, and the, the, the defense will be better as a result. But that's typically football. Stay out of your own way, and you progress faster and further, I'm sure. That's something that both these teams live on and probably were talking about before this one. And that's your guaranteed rate bowl, 10.15 p.m. Tuesday night on ESPN. When we come back, we will be joined by Ryan Burns from Gopher Illustrator. We'll ask him a couple of questions. Get his thoughts on this game. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. We are back, part two here of our preview, welcoming in Ryan Burns from Gopher Illustrated. Ryan, welcome Country Roads Confidential. I will not take up much of your time because we have so much to do before this game. You will be out there December 28th at Chase Field for the Guaranteed Rate Bowl, Minnesota, Kind of a, a streaky team here all of a sudden. Was 2-2, two and two, is 8-4, and four, playing great defense. But one thing I want to talk to you about, Ryan, is the offense and some of the changes. I am not too worried about the effect Kirk Sherrocki can have for the offense during the game. I'm more attuned to what he can do for the defense. But the person on offense who does intrigue me a little bit is Mike Sanford, who is no more, replaced by a guy who is familiar with the staff. And I think you can maybe argue became more influential running the offense, or at least affecting the offense late in the season. Um, and that might have a positive effect on Tanner Morgan in the passing game. He's done better lately passing. Um, and if you look just two years ago, he was great. I'm wondering, everybody talks about the Minnesota offense being a ground game. How much airborne threat can that offense pose by the time this game comes around because of the changes in the way things have moved? They have the skill position talent. I'll tell you that. Whether it's Chris Ottman Bell, who just decided that he's going to be coming back for another year here in 2022 to rekindle the flame that is Kirk Shiraka and Tanner Morgan and, and Mo Ibrahim, but he is their wide receiver one. He is their best 50 50 ball winner. I mean, with him, honestly, I think it's like an 80 20. If you throw a, a contested catch, whether it's just a, a sideline fade, whether you're throwing it to the back pylon, Ottman Bell is Minnesota's best receiving threat. That's where you saw him in this passing game start to figure it out more and more. I think Ottman Bell has shown, especially in the last couple of games, he's on a little bit of a heater. But they've also got guys like Dalen Wright, who is probably the most physically talented receiver in that room. 
the transfer they took in the offseason from uh, from Texas A&M there. You look at what he did against Ohio State in the opener. I think he had six, seven catches with, with a touchdown against what is a very talented, obviously, four- and five-star riddled you know, Ohio State secondary. He's been very inconsistent at times. And then I think Brevin Span Ford. Someone that they're throwing the ball more to their tight end, six foot seven, 260 plus pounds. He is too fast for linebackers. He's too big for safeties. And that's where you saw him against Wisconsin uh, really start to come in in some key situations. So with the offense, you're right. I mean, Mike Sanford is no longer here. He was fired after the West, uh, fired after the Wisconsin game there. It's interesting because Minnesota obviously wins eight games, but this is a team that if they could have figured it out offensively, and the Illinois loss and the Bowling Green loss, we're talking about a 10-win team. And they have, the, I think, the guys on offense to be effective, especially in the passing game. But it's going to be about, can the play caller for this game, who is Matt Simon, it'll be his second straight bowl game that he's covered, uh, or called, I should say, which is a random nuance for him, which, again, he called the plays in the 2020 Outback Bowl after Kirk Shiraka left for Penn State. And now he's going to be calling the plays two years later with Kirk Sharaka now coming back into the fold, but you mentioned it, he's not really involved with anything but because of that mutual agreement between Fleck and Neil Brown. But if it, I mean, they have the horses to do it, but I can assure you if there's anything consistent about Minnesota's passing game, it's inconsistent. All right. That bodes well for a West Virginia defense that has taken some licks in the secondary, but is getting healthy. That should be good. The defense that we need to spend more time on is Minnesota's, which if you're just tuning in, very good, but you could also be forgiven for confusing this for a defense that was not very good. This has gone from one of the most forgiving to one of the, um, I don't know, saltiest, really, when you look at it. They're very good, but they're very old. They're very experienced. They've hit on a number of transfers and key spots of the defense, whether it's the middle of the defensive line or just the middle of the defense at the linebacker position. They've had a lot of people come back. I think that speaks well to the program, the culture, all the stuff that P.J. Fleck wants to whip up and present to everybody. Get guys to come in, they buy in, that's great. They get guys who stay and they produce, that's great. But it's a perfect concoction for this defense this year with a really good coach who is working with eager and, and certainly able pupils here. We know all of the things that they're good at. You can probably touch on a couple of those. But where are the soft spots? How can West Virginia hope or expect to succeed with its offense? Well, you mentioned it. I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat it at all. Uh, Minnesota's defense in the last year in the COVID season was god-awful, putrid, terrible, you name your terrible type of synonym that you want to use to describe them. They were terrible. Worst run defense in college football wasn't even without a shadow of doubt. And now you look at how far they've come with, I believe, eight of the 11 starters from last year are back. A lot of the same guys and a lot of the same things. And they just turned it around. They're a much better tackling team overall. And that's why they end the year number four in total defense. I believe they were a top run, uh, top 15 run defense. But when you look at where they can be exploited, it's big plays. You look at the four losses for Minnesota, and I look at two of them specifically in Big Ten play where Minnesota uh, gave up 27-plus points. That was to Ohio State, and that was to Iowa. Big plays in the passing game because Minnesota has been very consistent all season being able to shut down the run. I don't believe there have been really too many explosive running play touchdowns against them. But Ohio State, like Ohio State did to many people this year, uh, they can tear you up through the passing game. And that's where Minnesota had a safety go down. And Ryan Day and that coaching staff for Ohio State just went at him constantly. And it was big play touchdown, big play touchdown, big play touchdown. 
Well, you look at that Iowa game where Minnesota loses 27 to 22. They had 40 minutes time of possession, won the turnover battle, and you're looking up at the end of the game. I think they had, I think they won the total yards battle by 130 yards too, and they somehow lost. And you're thinking to yourself, well, how did that happen? Well, they gave up too many explosive plays in the passing game where it was three plays, 75 yards, touchdown, one play, 66-yard touchdown. So if West Virginia is going to find explosive plays and they're going to win that component of the game against Minnesota's defense, I would have to guess, as it has been for most of the season, if you're going to get explosive plays against this defense, it's going to be through the air. Final question for you, Ryan. Not going to put you on the spot with a score prediction or even a win or a loser. We're unbiased, right? We're journalists. Capital J. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So here's a question that Chris and I always bounce each other off each other at the end of these preview podcasts. Uh, this game wraps up sometime after midnight, whether it's the CST or the EST. I think it's going to be a quick game just because these teams like to run it. But at some point, the game will end and we're going to be discussing a final score. Someone wins, someone loses. But something has happened or someone has played really well. Who or what? on their offense, on their defense, or maybe West Virginia's offense or defense, depending on your familiarity and how you want to answer this, who or what is influencing our conversation as a factor or the factor in the outcome? I'm going to say, and it's not sexy because all these big boys are over 300 pounds or 270 plus, but if you told me what team wins in the trenches, I'm going to tell you that's going to be the team that won. Uh, Now, I don't know if I'm saying that because I've watched Big Ten football for so many games and so it's such a large portion of my life. But I know that when Minnesota wins in the trenches, they normally win the game. And that's where I mentioned, you know, they have five all-conference guys on the offensive line there, and they're all going to be playing. They've got two senior bowl guys on the defensive line. They're going to be playing. In theory, you know, if you told me all those guys want to show up for this game, which you mentioned, 10.30 start Eastern time, 9.30 start Central time. Minnesota's going to already have been out there for five days enjoying the 70-degree warmth. If they don't want to come to play, well, then West Virginia is going to have a great chance. If Minnesota does come to play uh, on the offensive and the defensive lines, I'd say they're going to have a great chance to win the game. But to me, what we're going to be talking about the morning of the 29th is whichever team won, I can about guarantee you it's because they were able either to run the ball or to stop the run. And whatever team does that better, I think is going to have a great chance to emerge whether what time, whatever that is in the morning, you know, whether that's 2 a.m. Eastern time, on the 29th, they're going to have a great chance to win the Guaranteed Rate Bowl. That is Ryan Burns, the publisher of the 24-7 sports site Gopher Illustrated. You can catch him on Twitter at RyanBurnsMN. Ryan, thank you so much for your input here. We will talk to you soon. Appreciate you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back. Let's get into some questions here from our subscribers. Picked out the five most popular and I think most relevant here. I'll jump right in right now if that's okay with you. We'll start with at May 25. He says, let's say you're the head coach and you're installing some trick plays for the bowl game because everyone loves to run weird stuff during the bowl with the extra time to install. What's your one trick play with the personnel on this team? And then he goes on to how we've seen some flea flickers, fake punt with Tyler something doesn't sound fun. D 
Daigie handoff to Garrett Green was a fun one too. I love that play, by the way. Anyways, he asks, what say you? What would be my trick play, huh? I have two. One, I would I would certainly have I have three, I guess. I would certainly have Daigie and Green in there. I think that's a fun thing you could do that's not reinventing the wheel. You could run RPO and have it handed off to Green and then he can pass it. Why not? Um are we talking about Garrett Green becoming a slot receiver and throwing double passes? I would be surprised to see that. But why couldn't he do what they've done and play running back who can actually pass the ball? Possibility. Um, fake punt was mentioned here. I love fake field goals. When's the last time you saw a fake field goal? I love fake field goals. Um, I think Neil Brown is more inclined to go for it on fourth down, and probably that's a better idea. I just think if it's fourth and three, you have a better chance of getting the three yards with a traditional offensive snap than a fake. But... I love fake field goals. You don't see them very much, and that's because the, I don't know, the analytics, the numbers, the execution just makes it so that you just run a better play on offense than you would with a fake. So if you could have a fake field goal, that'd be great. You know, snap it and have the kicker running like an option or something like that. Um, possibility. Me, though. What am I doing? I'm seeing this cover six of Minnesota runs, which is like three high safeties. And like I said, it's cover four on one side, it's cover two on the other. And there's going to be stuff in the flat on the open side of the field that's just going to be there. It's just the way the defense is, is engineered, and they're going to allow you to have that. So you can take what they give you, but then you can do something with it. Give me a hook and lateral. Why not? Hook and lateral. Just run a sharp, aggressive, curl route. The defense is going to see it coming. And like, oh, wait a minute. This is what people do to that soft spot. Run your curl. Sam James sticks it, catches it. Here comes the defensive tackle because that's what the defense is supposed to do. And then you pitch it to Tony Mathis. And then the band is playing. Touchdown West Virginia. Give me the hook and lateral. I love it. Uh, Mud Lobster Lock 4 asks, does any other QB play or just Daigie? I think Green will play. I don't know why he wouldn't. We've seen less of him, but I think there's a place for him to play. I think the question here is, are we talking about Goose Crowder? Hmm. Has he practiced so well for so long that maybe he earns a chance? I don't have an answer for that one. I'm very intrigued. We'll see. They've gotten more developmental practices. Those Monday Night Football, they call them. And even when you listen to Brown talk about how they were trying to make this practice session a little bit different than regular games to make it seem special. Make it seem like it's not just a game. It's a bowl game. It is important. Hey, be fired up about this. Want to be there. Make the practices more fun. That helps out with the game, I'm sure. Uh, will they actually get Crowder into the game? Hmm. Um, I'm going to answer your question. That I say yes. Somebody will play quarterback other than Daigie or in addition to Daigie. Will it be Crowder? That's a really good question because I think that they're intrigued about what they may or may not have there, but certainly what they don't yet know. What they suspect may be true. That's the one to watch. So I think, yeah, you're going to see another quarterback. Will it be Crowder? Well, one way to find out. Jay Delancey won. Question is, is this a prove-it game for Tony Mathis? I would think that a great performance from him would give him a solid hold on 1A, 1B with Lynn J. Dixon coming in. Or does a poor performance open the door to another year of minimal carries behind a workhorse starter? Well, are we crowning Lynn J. Dixon a workhorse starter yet? Are we, are we sure, just based on reputation or the fact that he's at Clemson? I can't do that yet. I would think that Mathis has a chance to, to really audition for at least starting the spring in that top spot. 
what we know is that he was really good last spring and last summer. Remember, um, Iron Mountaineer, one of the top off-season performers, was great in the spring and the summer, and then got hurt. And then it took him a while to get back, but once he's been back, he's done okay. Um, good game against TCU. Didn't have a lot of opportunities after that, and then a great game against Kansas. Ball's his right now, so it is a prove game for Mathis. I'm not saying that he can't become the guy if he doesn't play well. I'm not saying that he becomes the guy if he does play well. They're going to have a, a whole offseason again to um, use it or lose it, so to speak. But, yeah, how could this not be an audition for him to become certainly the leader of the pack? And I would say to to make good on what people have said about him because here's a guy we've heard a lot about for a while. We haven't seen a whole lot. And, again, nothing against him. Lady Brown's there, and also he was injured. But now no Lady Brown, and he's healthy. So these things that people have talked about that we just haven't seen, now we got to see it. So he could become the guy in the spring, in the summer, but he can take the first step against Minnesota and a really good defense. Now here's the problem, though. If he doesn't, are you bailing on the Tony Mathis experience? It's hard to say. Teams don't run the ball very well against Minnesota. It's not because the running back is bad or the offensive line is bad. Sometimes Minnesota's really good. Don't forget, though. Offensive line is a big part of this, too. So when Lady Brown got going and even when Mathis got going, the offensive line played well. So in addition to your question, is it a showcase game, a prove-it game for Mathis? Yeah, you would say the same about the offensive line, right? If this offensive line can use a month to get fresh and then move around Minnesota, that's a really good sign for next year. Question comes from Luke Zoolander 1. What can our staff do to combat the size of Minnesota's offensive line? especially their right tackle and their tight ends. We don't have a lot of size, weight, at linebacker, and safety. Do you think we'll bring an extra defensive lineman in? Is this a game where a bigger guy like Deshaun Stevens may play more? What linebacker is going to be assigned their giant tight ends and pass coverage? Let's just get to the running game here. What do you do to combat Minnesota's offensive line? Going to have to crash the edges, like I said. You're going to have to find ways around the corner, around their tackles. Big guys are big, but they don't move as well. So if you can get around them, lean a little bit, and, and – zigzag and try to get in but we got to make the tackles but getting in there would be a start um, I think that's a a problem everybody's had so what have teams done to combat their tackles you know one guy's 6'6 260 or excuse me 360 one guy's 6'9 280 but again they're not it's not Carl Lewis out there right they're, they're, he's not going to be able to run around and block you in space so can you attack from space and do stuff yeah I think that's a big deal um, is it a bandit game or is it a, a defensive end game a fourth defensive lineman we'll see uh, Deshaun Stevens, maybe, but I like Chandler Sumido in the middle, and I don't think you're going to see a lot of deviation from that. Um, it, like I said, it'll be good to have Lance, Lance Dixon back. That's a quicker guy who can run around and do some things. So, so they should be in a good spot. And then it would be interesting to see Jackie Matthews and Charles Woods, how they're used. They're both going to play corner. Can you use them as a extra defensive back? Um, Matthews is a pretty good tackler and pretty good at getting to the ball, and that might be a useful skill here. So can he play like nickel? And come in, is he going to start a corner? I'm not sure. We'll see. We know Daryl Porter will be one corner. We know that Nick Troy Fortune won't be available to play. Um, Matthews and Woods will probably both play corner, but maybe one of them has a function as an extra defensive back in there, too. Do you think St. McLeod's going to have a big game or a big, a big say in the game? Um, that's a position that has to play well. We'll see what he can do. I do think you'll see some fourth defensive lineman things. Uh, I just think you gotta you got to be really good out in space if they're going to try to get wide and use their, their tackles in their run game, you're going to have to meet them out there and then beat them out there. Question from Paul 
TBLL. Which players should we be watching as most influential to the game's outcome on both teams? Um, I'm watching Tanner Morgan. I just think that there's a chance that that guy has something in him that we haven't seen this year. And you got a chance to study an opponent that doesn't know you. And you can look at West Virginia secondary and say, oh, boy, there's a chance that they are forgiving in some spots. Don't know. We'll see. But you might take aim at it. And, again, listen, you're you're getting <laughs> – you're getting an offensive coordinator back that you're bringing back because he was good at what he did before with this quarterback. And I know Kirk Schrock is not calling the plays and he's not even out there in Phoenix apparently, but there's, they're trying to get towards something that is not like what they do now. If they were so happy with this offense and what it does, which is run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, they wouldn't have hired their offensive coordinator. I'd watch Tanner Morgan. Uh, and I watched Brevin span forward too just because – the 6'7", 270-pound tight end, but they're all the tight end. Co'Keefe, watch him, too. It's like another offensive lineman. I would definitely be watching those guys there, too. Uh, and then, again, their linebackers make a lot of plays. I think that's important, too. Um, the one matchup, probably, for West Virginia's offensive line that you have to keep on is Boye Mafe. Um, he's their top sack guy, six sacks. He was their lone all-conference player. Uh, does get him some some pressure. Does do some things there that, that's really important, too. But, um He's like the disruptor up there. And, again, if Jared Dagey isn't pressured and he can scan the field and go through his options and just play comfortably in the pocket, he's a better passer. If the one guy who can be disruptive is disruptive, uh, that's one to watch there too. So I think their linebackers are good. Um, getting a kid from Abilene Christian to come in, Allegiant tackles, interesting. Jack Gibbons, watch him, good player. But don't let the disruptor uh, be disruptive, and you probably have a chance there. Um I would say as an addition, watch Coney Durr, their cornerback, old player, really mature, defends passes very well. Um, if you're going to take shots, I'm not saying you aim at him, but like that's a guy who's going to be discouraging your shot plays and your pass breakups are more likely to come with a player like him who's just got a nose to the ball and, and knows what to do. Uh, final question comes from Mud Lobster Lock. Excuse me, no. This question comes from TWBU201. Can we win? I'm just not seeing it. Um, I think you can win. I don't know what you're scared about with Minnesota's offense. Uh, I don't think they're going to blow you out. Um, can a rowboat boat race you? Probably not. So don't get down because if they get a 10-point, 14-point lead, they're going to sit in the ball and take the air out of it and be very good. They're going to have momentum and go. Uh, and their defense can be good, but... Why can't your offense be good here? Um, I know that a lot of the stuff that Minnesota does well are certainly concerns for West Virginia and what it doesn't do well, but I think you can look at certain things that West Virginia does well that Minnesota may struggle with. West Virginia just has to be efficient. just has to be. You're not going to get a lot of possessions. You might not even get a lot of plays. Can't go backwards. Can't get penalties. Can't drop passes. Can't have turnovers. Um, and when they've played well, and even in the second half of the season, they have been efficient. So that'll have to be the case. Can you win? Absolutely. Will you? We'll find out. Tuesday night, 10-15 ESPN. Chase Field, the guaranteed rate bowl. West Virginia, Minnesota, watch out for the hook and lateral. Until next time, I'm Mike Casaza. Enjoy the game.